Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Julia Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Kind of doing a bottle episode today on this podcast. (laughs) We are going to talk about the number one show over the weekend on Netflix, Emily in Paris. But first, you might know this, but maybe you don't. The election is rapidly approaching on November 3rd, and we want to talk to you about voting. Voting is extremely important. So if you have not made a plan for how you're going to vote, make sure you've got everything you need at BallotReady.org. Many states, you can already vote. It's started early or maybe it's coming soon in the next couple of weeks. Go to BallotReady.org so you are prepared and you have a plan. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. All right, Amanda, let's discuss this latest show from Darren Starr, which, um, as you pointed out, is number two today, Tuesday on Netflix. It was number one on Sunday. I looked. Also, I saw it on Luca Bravo's Instagram. So thank you to him for alerting that to me, alerting me to it. And Emily in Paris is a a show starring Lily Collins about a young woman from Chicago who works in marketing, who moves to Paris for her job and like hijinks ensue. And we'll, we'll talk all about it. That's my description of the show. What's yours? I think that's correct. It's a young (laughs) American woman. It's an American goes to Paris through the filter of Instagram and influencers. And I want to talk a lot about the the very familiar template of this show and the way that it has tried to adapt itself to 2020 and to a what it thinks is a 2020 audience. So I should say right now, I have seen eight out of 10 episodes. Okay, I will spoil the end for you. I have some suspicions about what's going to happen or else I have some questions <laughs> about Kate Walsh's contract and her agent and her choice to be in this uh, TV series. But... I had seen a few and was enjoying myself. And then we decided to do this episode. And so I did made the hard professional decision to watch four or five episodes last night. Uh, It's very tough to be me. Uh, And I really, really think it's fun. I I think (laughs) I enjoy watching it. And I have a tremendous number of notes that I would like to share with you and to discuss as like, as it relates to Emily in Paris being a phenomenon, because it's a phenomenon. 
Totally. It, it definitely is. We'll do all that just really briefly on Kate Walsh. I don't think you need to see the last two episodes say that if you've seen eight, like you're just like, what the fuck? She's like what, Kate <laughs> Walsh is in episode one, Addison Montgomery, uh, Shepard, obviously. And she then um, does not uh, appear in the next uh, episodes two through seven, two through eight. And what the fuck? She must have gotten cut out, right? Like there must have been a storyline that 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 she's just not a part of. Yeah, I think so. And this is a great segue into my first, the thing I would like to talk about uh, with this show is who is this show for? And specifically, what age is this show for? I think this show is for us. What do you think? I think that, I do not think this show is for us. And if this show is for us, I think that they screwed up big time. And like they made like, I mean, my summary of this is that it's a cute show that is for children. And um, Darren Starr obviously made Sex and the City, which is a a lodestar for our generation, um, no matter how you feel about it. And he made more recently Younger, which is a show that you and I really loved. And I was thinking a lot specifically about Younger because it is like fairly recent, you know, so I feel like it's fairer to compare apples to apples TV wise. Cause listen, TV changes over decades. All right. Um, the world is very different from when 90210, a beloved show, uh, hit the air. But the thing about younger was that by the definition of the show, which is like Sutton Foster plays a 40 something woman who pretends to be in her twenties in order to get the job and career she always wanted. Um, it's a, it's a show about a young person's world through the lens of someone our age or someone older. And, and that's so, a huge part of why it works is because of the exactly. lens it's, it's applied. And also Sutton, Sutton Foster um, is an incredible f- uh, physical actress and comedian. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. uh, she's really tall and lanky and she's so unique that so her, like the way that she plays on um, awkwardness and like uh, lack of familiarity really propels the show forward. And it's, it definitely comes into stark relief when you're watching Emily in Paris. Right. Because, you know, everything from how the Sun Foster character and younger responds to like social media, to dating, to going out to bars, to what work is like, it's like she is an anthropologist rediscovering like the 20 something world. And so it's fun for people like us who are no longer in their 20s. I would imagine that it's still fun for people in their 20s to kind of see this shiny world reflected back at them. And also, by the way, like you always... Like when I was younger, I never watched stuff with like people my age. You know, I was 10 when I read 17 magazine. Like once I was like in my teens, I was watching older something stuff. So you always want to project older. It's much trickier to be like an older person watching something that is obviously made for 22 year olds. And I kind of feel like Emily in Paris was just like, we'll cut out the older stuff and just make this for 22 year olds. And the reason I brought this up is because I wonder whether Kate Walsh was supposed to be more of a character and more of a generational stand-in. And then they were like, no, 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 no. We'll you're just not, Kate Walsh, on. you're not on the show. Yeah. She did. She did do press for it, which I found very strange. I was like, have you seen the show, Kate Walsh? Are you aware of the edit you received? Um, I thought you were going to say it was for people older than us. I thought you were going to say it was like for people who were also Darren Starr's age, because we did a, a, a Slack focus group with our tea time mm-hmm. colleagues and they were considering covering the show in their cringe mode segment. They have not yet watched it and they're just sort of like instinct instinctively dismissive of it. And I was wondering if that's partially because of my personal enthusiasm. I was like, is it, should I, should I take this as a note? But, um, I thought that was interesting. And I think that like, 
but like my my friends our age and older seem to really like 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 the show for like just for like the escape that it is whereas like and and that's sort of like sufficient at the moment yeah listen this is a show that is centered on an american which listen i'm a a a gross self-centered American like everybody else when it comes (laughs) to pop culture and traveling in the world. Okay. Like guilty as charged. I'm just trying to be aware, but it's a, it's a show centered on a young, like very classically beautiful and stylish American woman in Paris. And it's filmed in Paris. And I've been sitting in my home for eight months now. I may never go to Paris again. I've only been a couple of times. Like I am a product of like nineties, 2000 pop culture, you know, American, whatever, where I idealize Paris and have the books on it, like every other damn person. Okay. So I get it. I, I saved the two episodes. I'm looking forward to finding out what happens, but while I'm watching it, I'm also like, this is not as good as it should be. And this is not what I, this is not as good as younger. It's not as good as sex in the city. And I, my best explanation is because I think it doesn't know that its audience is actually us as opposed to, you know, the The next generation. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's also intentionally intergenerational with the older, like with, um, somebody with the older woman in Paris who Mm -hmm. her name is Sylvie on the show. I feel Mm -hmm. like that is supposed to be like somewhat of an olive branch to old, older people as well. Who've been working for a while who are just like, God, this woman comes in. Obviously the show ultimately sides with Emily as it's Emily in Paris. But I, I did think she was sort of like a nod to, a a wider spectrum of viewers. Um, One question I have for you is how do you think this fits into the Netflix ecosystem? Because I, I'll just spoiler alert. I think it's like a shift in some ways. Like, like there's not really another Netflix show like this that I can think of. And all the shows that you reference that we've been talking about haven't been streaming shows. Right. So an interesting thing about this show is that it was originally meant for the Paramount Network, which is the network that brought you Yellowstone, which just in case, you know what, I'm going to guess that our listeners are not really following Yellowstone. I I think I will watch that. I see myself watching it in the month of December. I heard it's good. And I just see myself like when it's cold and like, I I just see myself by like a fire. I don't know where this is, by the way. Like, it's not like I have a fireplace. I just see myself buy a fireplace watching Yellowstone at some point, just getting so, cozy with Kevin Costner. Yeah. So Yellowstone is a TV show about Kevin Costner wearing vests in the American West. That's honestly all I know about it. I think there could be some murders and some other stuff, but I just, I read a blog post by Andrew Gradadero about uh, his many wonderful vests, but Yellowstone is also a big hit for the Paramount network. Like it has been extremely successful and it is something that um, people point to in terms of starting new television shows on on new networks and also specifically older audiences um, who still use, you know, linear cable or whatever. So Emily, imagining Emily in Paris as like a on a show on the same network as Yellowstone yeah. is kind of programming. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But again, that's also to say it wasn't kind of incubated in the Netflix original series. And um, Netflix bought it from Paramount, I believe, uh, during COVID-19 or once, you know, once the the world changed. Uh, so it, you're right that it's new in that sense. In the sense that Netflix has identified, uh, I would say 15 to 20 year old girls as a target audience. And I'm thinking specifically of all of the, like the teen rom-coms emphasis on teens, basically Noah Centineo core. Um, and, and, and Enola Holmes. Did you watch that? No, we I didn't last watch week, it. We've yeah. talked about it. I'm not going to watch Enola Holmes. I'm a grown up. No offense. And that's great. Listen, I like 
girls 15 to 20 deserve entertainment like targeted at them that is great and well-made. And I think uh, like every other part of the industry has ignored that, which is why Netflix, you know, is having all these hits. I think it's really great. I am also above the age of 19, unfortunately. And so, I just want to say, I know a lot of people in their 30s who watch Noel Holmes, okay? okay? Back off. I think, listen, it's, it's also what floats your boat. Some of it is just, is, is preference and what you deem escapism and how young you're willing to go. And, and like, I don't really even like watching teen comedies anymore. They make me feel really old. Mm-hmm. And and I still love watching the teen comedies that I watched as a teen. And they don't feel as old to me. They bring back like memories of whatever. So I don't know whether it's just that's nostalgia baked in for me or whether I find the the way that people are very young in 2020 to just be like very different and alienating. I, I was revisiting some uh, old One Tree Hill as a result of like some Instagram rabbit hole that I went down. Um, and then I was just thinking about Dawson's Creek and like, those are like just hallmarks of, of my life. And mm-hmm. I actually even feel weird watching those. I saw a meme that was like a picture of Joey and Pacey. And I was just like, I've like been watching this stuff for so long and I kind of feel like I can't go back to it. Finally, at the age of 34, I'm just sort of like, it's time to, it's time to move on. Oh my God. And I was telling Kate Hallowell, our tea time colleague today, that one of the things that like most messed up my expectations for like what life would be like was the season one episode of Gilmore Girls when Dean takes Rory to her school dance and then they go to Miss Patty's and he finds the giant book in her bag and he finds it like really charming and sweet and like Mm -hmm. like really made him like her. I was just like, that's just not realistic at all. And um and it's just funny to like think about, like to your point, like what is the programming that's targeted at different ages. And I think it says a lot about the show that it's like a little bit unclear. Like it's clear that younger is for people who want to experience millennial life, like without being a millennial and like the Hillary Duff character. Right. Right. And this is like a lot less clear of like, should you be identifying with Emily's lens? Should you be cringing at Emily's lens? Pun intended. It's a show about her taking pictures kind of. Um, or (laughs) we'll talk about that (laughs) or like, is it something all, all all different? And I also like in a weird way, like this wasn't intended because it was, it was for Paramount, but, um, I think it sort of speaks to Netflix. There's like an ambiguity of audience with like all of the Netflix hits that is part of like both the marketing and also just the content that you're just sort of like, I mean, as I've said many times, I look forward to new Netflix drops. Like people look forward to sneaker drops. So I'm all in, but like, it's just a weird ecosystem where you're just sort of like, okay, I accept this is here. I'll, I'll watch it. But there's the, the like the point of view is so much less specific than Freeform or Paramount or what channel is younger on. I forget. It's not Paramount. It's, um, TV it's, land. TV land. It's, it's co-broadcast on Paramount whenever it comes back. But yeah, it's just, it's just very, it's just very different. The the Netflix ecosystem definitely changes how I receive a show. Yeah. And I think you can understand why they tried to make Emily in Paris up to a broader audience, right? Yeah. I mean, Oh, for sure. The, if you're making a show for people, for older millennials to understand younger millennials, which is kind of what younger is, because you and I are actually millennials, yeah. even though we're positioning ourselves as like older than time right now. I'm not. I still got a little fight in me. Okay. But, um, okay. 
that limits the audience. So of course, especially with Netflix, which is just, it's a, it's a numbers game and they're trying to get as many people as possible, but also really any TV show you're trying to get as many people as possible. So I, I appreciate it in theory. I just think in execution, they, they flattened it. The other thing is that they're also, have you been following the French people hate Emily in Paris? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the French people really hate Emily in Paris because they don't think it's an accurate representation of life in Paris, to which I say, touche. Okay. <laughs> to which I say, have you seen Seinfeld? Have you seen Friends? These television shows shot in Los Angeles that are like major New York shows. I mean, it's it's TV. I, I mean, like, okay, sorry. And also, I want to venture to say that this basic woman from America who's really invested in her Instagram would experience Paris that way. Like I, I actually think like in some ways that's realistic. Like I don't, I don't want to like under, I like Emily, the character, but I think it's very realistic that she would just do stuff that looked good on her Instagram and was like familiar to Americans. Right. And uh, number one, it's not like Parisians are like allergic or uh, unfamiliar with the concept of doing things for like surface level reasons or aesthetics. But number two like I understand their point in that it's like it is the ugly American stereotype and and they engage with that in the show sort of. But then she like saves the day every time and like America defeats Paris every single time, which, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that they're annoyed with. And then but I do think some of it is also that this show is has a lot of French actors is filmed in Paris and is like possibly also being marketed to French people which yeah. is in, because Netflix really wants to be a global company and that is where their emphasis yeah. is. And it makes sense because they're trying to develop an international audience, but like imagine being a French person and it's like, okay, this is what you're, you're giving me. You're yeah, totally. Yeah. Movies are dead. And the French like in, believe in cinema. Yeah. It's the TV version of Taylor Swift's welcome to New York. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also French people like are really rude and spiteful. I say that as a compliment and with love. And so all of the quotes about uh, Emily in Paris from the French people are pretty great. They're just like, absolutely not. She would in a way that is kind of mirroring the Sylvie character in the show. So I think that's funny. But it, again, that's a little bit of like this show is really trying to be everything to all people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, it's funny you bring up the global thing. I was thinking about that too. Like one of the, one of the goals of a Netflix show is to be really popular internationally. And that's one of the benefits of the platform. I was just thinking about like, what did, did they translate it for into French? And like, if so, like, what was that work like? And I just some really nerdy questions about the distribution of Emily in Paris and French speaking countries, but you know, that's probably for a different podcast to never be released. Cause it's so boring. Um, what in the show really worked for you? Uh, filming in Paris. <laughs> let's just let's just film things in Paris. How about that? You know, I was like, I finished this or finished eight episodes. And I was like, oh, maybe I should just check out some French TV. Like what a novel concept. So I might be doing that. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I didn't watch the Amazon Modern Romance, Modern Love show because I just mm-hmm. couldn't bear it. However, yeah. I did watch the Paris episode, which was oh, very okay. good. Okay. which is about like ownership of a home, which, you know, right up, right up our alley. Check it out. Um, also, it reminded me of the way that Marvel's Mrs. Maisel treated Paris, which was like also mm-hmm. very surface, also delightful. Mm-hmm. I, I will say, I wish that Emily had partied a little bit more. Can we just see her hard partying like all night in Paris? I'm not an all night <laughs> girl, but last time I was in Paris, I did stay out until 5 a.m. and I'm very proud of it. And I just feel like that's part of going to Paris as an American. 
Okay, counterpoint. I recently watched the episode in which we're going to have to talk about Emily's job for a second. I like I just I have to do a hot 10 minutes on that. But I recently watched the episode where as a result of her job, she had to babysit a quote like American movie star. Uh-huh. Uh, who is oh, that right. supposed to be Jennifer Lawrence? Like, I don't I what's going on with that? I forgot it's like they a, did party as a result of that episode. Yeah. But so they party and they wind up at a club. And at one moment, Emily and Gabriel, the hot chef neighbor, are dancing. It was it, it was awful. He's the worst dancer in the world. Don't let him dance. Don't let him dance. Him? I was just like, no, no, don't take this away from me. Don't let them dance. <laughs> also, it was just like, it could be a club anywhere in the damn world with terrible music. Uh, they need to, they need to party Paris style. The last like really fun night that I had was in Paris, I would say for about four okay. years ago. Okay. Uh, at a Paris <laughs> That's club. really depressing. Okay. But by that, you mean like, a, like night out on the town. Oh yeah, of course. Okay. All right. I may have gone to another club since then, but not proudly. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says, Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Um, I want to talk about Luca Bravo, who plays Gabrielle, her hot chef neighbor on the fourth floor. She's on the fifth floor or she's on the, she, he's on the, she's on the fourth floor 
and I think it's called an attache in in France. And he's she's on on four. He's on on three, which is in their country four and five. Anyway, she how dumb do you have to be to like more than one time walk up the stairs and not know which door is your own? Like, is there another staircase or is there not, Emily? Um, nonetheless, he's so hot. I think that I am not above watching a television show because the people are really attractive. And oh my God, he's so hot. Yeah, I really don't think that we can underestimate the importance <laughs> of Luca Bravo to this show. Like, are you kidding me? I was just like, holy shit. And I think I texted you immediately. I was just like, the hot neighbor has just shown up in episode one. Now I'll be watching the rest of this, yeah. this season. Um, congratulations to him on his career breakthrough, <laughs> and which has been instant. And it's, you know, some... People And I will say the show handles this very well. He shows up 12 minutes in and you're just kind of like, okay, now I know the thesis of this show. Uh, and that's a, that's a testament to him. That's a testament to the show and knowing what to do. And just don't let him dance. That would be my one request. So apparently he had some sous chef experience. I just want okay. to sort of note, okay. when I started following him, he had like 8,000 followers. This was like three weeks ago and now he's 247. That's still okay. kind of low and low in my opinion, but he'll get there. Um, Congrats, Luca. Um, he told Vulture that he had some sous chef experience. Like he was doing some sous chef work, like in between modeling gigs when things were slow. And I believe that 0%. I believe he worked in a restaurant. <laughs> sous chef? I don't, I don't think so. And, and this is what this is what the tell was for me. And I don't want to assume this is lost in translation. I, I don't want to underestimate um, his ability to speak in English. I think one thing that um is great about non-Americans. They often are very proficient in many languages. Um, he told Vulture that they were like asking him if he did any actual cooking on the show. And he was like, no, of, of course I didn't do um, that. It's like from set decorators. Like I did cook the omelet for that one episode, but everything else is set decorators. And his reasoning was, <laughs> of course I was too busy on set to cook for six or seven people. <laughs> Like, okay, is that the only reason why, man? Maybe also you're just like, like, even if you're like a good chef, like doing it picture perfect for TV is like really difficult. Like, yeah, that's the only, only reason why. So that belied to me that he doesn't have a real understanding of what goes into cooking for six to seven people in a restaurant environment, but that's okay. Sure. Because he's so hot. Doesn't matter. <laughs> and or that he doesn't have like a ton of onset experience. But again, that's who cares? He's a, a new cares? figure in our lives. Yeah. Good job, him. He lived in Venice, California at one point. So like we could have run into him on the street. However, okay. I also want to note, he, this is not his natural style. The way that he's styled is Gabrielle's just not really how he looks usually. He um, usually looks much more Venice model like wearing hats and like some scruff and long hair. And I don't think I would have recognized him, but I still would have recognized him as a very attractive gentleman. Yeah. I would love to talk about the styling on the show more broadly. Because Let's. Let's do it, Amanda. Great segue. You know, obviously... This is, uh, there is a fashion component to this. Darren Starr worked with Patricia Field, his longtime collaborator on the, on the clothes for this. And the, the Lily Collins as Emily clothes are a whole thing that we're going to discuss. But I want to talk about the Parisians for a second. Because the Parisians are also like all doing Parisian stereotype things. Like none of them are styled the way true Parisians would dress there. And you want to know why? Not a Stan yeah. Smith in sight. And that's what real Parisians wear. <laughs> 
I think that Gabrielle does wear Adidas at one point. Like I clocked them and I was like, oh, interesting. But I'm specifically speaking about the women and the high heels. And it's not even that French women don't wear high heels. In fact, I I, I kind of think stereotypically they often do. But that these are just like these are the Manolo Blahnik of sex in the city, you know, really flashy. Yeah. There is a I am like all done up and could go to the club at a moment's notice aspect to pretty much everyone in this show that is at odds with even like the stereotypical understanding of, of, of French style. Yeah. But, and, and Sylvie just like exclusively wears like black seductive dresses essentially, or like black, black seductress outfits, uh, which she looks good in, but just is like, not really not representative. And then the offices are all Instagram style. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Let's talk about um, Emily's clothes and then we'll talk about Emily's job. So Emily's clothes um, go from, I I guess this is intentional from like initially like, you know, cosmopolitan American from Chicago to full fledged, like avant, like nearly avant-garde runway style um, hats and booties and like kind of like share Horowitz on drugs, I would say. Yes. Um, I, some of them work and some of them don't, which is the classic Patricia field style, I would say. And I think that I, these clothes are working for me a bit more than say the clothes did on younger. Um, Mm -hmm. and it does feel (laughs) Sutton Foster and Hillary Duff both dress so badly. At least, at least I am. looks good. It was like a, Yes it was a real crime against both of them. I felt, but this feels like they're going for the sex in the city thing again, where she just has something like completely fabulous. And it's a part of like the artwork and the set set design of the show. And you know, Lily Collins can wear clothes. Um, this Lily Collins, who we gave you a primer on last week is a model. So she, mm-hmm. or, you know, was a model. I don't, maybe she's moved in the actress direction. Um, I will say, I uniformly loved her outerwear, like just great coats and jackets. There was not a one that I didn't like. She had so many of them and I uniformly despised all of her headwear. Just like, no, no on the hats for me. And I was confused by the booties. I, I think that there were too many of them and like very uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that I would wear pretty much anything that she is wearing in this show. In fact, I like couldn't. So that makes it a lot easier for me for a number of reasons. Um, it's yeah. a very flashy piece of the show, though. It kind of doesn't really fit the rest of it. You're just sort of like, why is she dressed this way? And how did she get all these clothes? Because in some ways, it's like a very practical. There's a lot of like practicalities of it. That was like the beats of like her moving and her electricity going out when she plugs in her vibrator and like all this stuff. But then you're just like, where did all these clothes come from? How does she afford them? Is she rich? Like what's going on here? Yeah. And they aren't really like baked into the show at all. Like sex in the no. city, you know, like Carrie was a, a fashion like obsessive and she, you know, kept clothes in her ovens and like the fact that I, you know, she would buy shoes instead of rent. Like, you know, they, they acknowledge it. They made it a part of the thing, which, and, you know, maybe encouraged consumerism like in a different way, but they established her clothes as a character. And these just are kind of a prop. I guess. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. I think, I, I think in general, the sex in the city bar, while sex in the city may have its problems, some people love it. Some people like it, whatever. It's just, just like impossible to ever live up to. It came along at a time, you know, Emily Nussbaum wrote this essay famously now, like came along at a time where it really did change television. And like, 
Darren Star is very good at TV, but like you just cannot catch that lightning in a bottle again. And it's almost like kind of like hard to take in some of his content. I think it's one of the reasons younger is such like a, a delight is because of how you explained it with like having this lens of like a stranger in a strange land. And so anything else that's trying to like capture the young woman's experience is just so hard because sex in the city is so seminal. I think that's very true. Nothing's going to live up to sex in the city. I do think that this show could have like taken some of the lessons from sex in the city a bit more. And I think one of the major ways I'm going to segue into the job now is like developing the characters. This person is not a character. She's like an Instagram cutout. Like she's her own little Instagram installation. And part of that is because they choose to make her like a marketing person and they just turn her into an influencer, which I don't want to drag influencers. I like have, by the way, I I have talked about it. I have French influencers that I follow on Instagram. Okay. So I'm like not above this. I love the content. They seem to be doing very well. You know, she's taken ballet, my French influencer. Um, <laughs> it's more of a bar class to be quite honest. You know, they do some Pilates at the end, but it's a childhood dream of hers. And I wish her well on that, but it's, it just doesn't give you any room to play with in terms of making this a person. And I think, and, and then it kind of limits the way that you can develop the other characters because all of it is so just Instagram focused that that is a way that I think is a bummer. Yeah. And, um, Ashley Park, who plays Mindy pointed out and also a Q and a show with Bulger that Lily Collins is literally in every scene. And Mm so, you know, it just, it, it then makes the emphasis on this one character so extreme that she's like the driving force through all of it. And, you know, the point is you're supposed to be seeing this experience in Paris through her eyes or whatever, but it does, li- it for sure limits the other characters like what 100%. And Mindy was, Mindy's world like sounded fun where she was, you know, she, um, <laughs> she's a nanny and also performing at a drag club. And like has like this this history where she appeared on American Idol in China. And like that's like a really fun story. And I'm very interested in the Mindy season. Like let's let's replay it all through Mindy's eyes. Yeah. And also the Kate Walsh season. I mean, it's <laughs> there must have been more to the Kate Walsh character. And yeah, because it got edited for sure. It got edited because ultimately it just becomes like a joke about how she's like too old to I thought she was too old to have a kid. And I was like kind of taken aback by that. And then they just forgot that it happened, but you could see more in terms of intergenerational stuff. And I think that would also like make the Emily character more interesting. The other thing, just like making her an influencer, it, the show really is just Instagram. And I understand why they wanted to make a show that is Instagram because Instagram is like extremely popular and it is where people spend all of their time and all of their money, especially the target audience, myself included. But it's like, I can already get all of this on Instagram. I kept wondering, like, why didn't they just make her work at a beauty company? Mm. Just make her work at a beauty company and she can do the marketing and she can do pretty much everything else that you like that they want to do in terms of social media. Plus, also, you get like the multi-billion dollar or trillion dollar, probably. I don't even know beauty industry, which is centered in France and which people are obsessed with. And like, there are a lot of thematic things that you could do there. It would just be a lot richer. That's my note. Maybe she can do that in season two. I assume there will be a season two. Um, I really, I liked the Vaja June um, storyline oh too. Oh I, li- I like, I thought that was funny. And that's when I was like, oh, this is just like younger, like funny work storylines that like have totally. like a, 
an a, an air of of truth to them. I I was like, oh good, let's do more wacky products that she has to sell related to vaginas. That's hilarious. Right, and then Carla Bruni texting Regina yeah. Macron, which was like amazing, and is kind of I mean it's ridiculous, but is one of the only times that the show actually like acknowledges France and the politics and like, yeah. and the characters, which was one of the fun parts of younger, right? Like every episode or would be like guess the author, you know, and what book are we kind of parroting here and who is this figure supposed to be? Um, I mean, I thought that was ridiculous, but I was also pretty amused by it. I like when it leans into its, its absurdity. Totally. And I, I have to say like, despite all of this, I found Lily Collins charming. I mean, maybe it's also just because like, as we go along, there's so many attractive people in, in it, but I just, mm-hmm. I, I like overall still found it to be very um, pleasant experience. I was waiting for you to watch. I think that she's very good. I mean, she makes these ridiculous marketing speeches actually like at the end of the day, you're like, yeah, I believe in you. And in the power of marketing, <laughs> Lily Collins, which like I do, but like I'm living the consequences of the power of marketing every day. So are we all, but to like, have you rooting for this like, weird advertising influencer. I, I don't know that it, it's hard to sell that. And she sells it. Um, I think again, that she really does like visually look great in the clothes and she has good energy and sells a lot of really annoying things because this woman is really annoying. This woman is so <laughs> annoying. Like, what are you doing, ma'am? Just like calm down learn some French. Everyone keeps being like, you move to the, to France and you don't know any French, but she doesn't even know, like, please. And thank you. Come on. Yeah. Buy that a was book. weird. I texted you very angrily last night where she was six episodes in and she did not know what the cafe de flore is, which is like one of the great Paris. I don't even call it a tourist trap. It's not, it's like a historic Parisian cafe. You know, who loves cafe de flore, Ina Garten, you know, who loves Ina Garten. I'm sure Emily from Emily in Paris. Oh, okay. Definitely. So like, yeah, don't sure. tell me that you don't know what the cafe de flore is. Aspirational but- life. I, yeah, I, I think like there's, there's like obviously a lot of like problems with the show, but like more, we're just like a lot of chatter around it in general. And we were remarking on there's, there was so much coverage of it starting on Friday when it came out through mm-hmm. to today, I'm sure it'll continue. And I'm curious, like, and and we were kind of discussing this, like, why do you think that the show kind of has gotten the attention that it's gotten aside from like the, like obvious of Lily Collins is beautiful and Luca Bravo is, is beautiful because there's a lot of shows, with beautiful people on them. Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, you and I both knew about this show as an event before it came out and, and that's, partially because of what we do in our jobs, but also I think because someone somewhere decided we're going to make this show an event. And like, I was on group texts where this show was an event and like people sent the trailer and it was like October 2nd, we know it's coming. So I think that they identified an audience. Um, it's the audience, at least in my life is like pretty similar to the younger audience and totally people who would be in sex in the city. I think they know that, you know, Darren star still, um, not still, but Darren Starr is like a big name, especially for people of our generation. That is like, that's a, that's a brand name. And so I think they, the marketing department, uh, at Emily in Paris and at Netflix knew that this would have a lot of brand name recognition. And then I think there was a lot of work into like making this a thing that you knew was coming. And that's really hard to do in 2020 because there's so much going on. But I also think you know, at the same time, there aren't that many event things targeted at the particular audience that you and I are talking about, which is like women over the age of 25. So, 
it's a little bit of an event when we don't get that many targeted events would, yeah, would yeah. be my diagnosis. Yeah. It, yeah. And I think, I think, you know, we talked about this with Meghan Markle's uh, and Prince Harry's overall deals with Netflix. And now there's this show. And then the other show that is doing really well, um, currently number one is um, a true crime show. What's the name of it again? It was American murder, the family next door. Yeah. And like, it's just, uh, it's been, um, I don't know, proven, but like the data suggests that the people who really care about true crime that propels the voluminous podcast genre and the voluminous Netflix genre forward are women. And I think it's very interesting to see like some of this more women focused content, like getting a foothold on the platform. And like, I'm sure this doesn't hold a candle to umbrella Academy and, um, stranger things, but it is, it is significant that like this sort of like women focused programming is, is doing well. Cause I don't know if you necessarily associate that with Netflix. And I just think, I just think that's like worth noting. And, um, I don't know. It's just kind of like interesting to me this, like I was saying, like I I'm, I'm personally so invested in Netflix and find it so fascinating. I think a lot of people in media and entertainment do, because it's just like, you know, it's like a, a game changer literally. And so there's like a lot to parse, but I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. That, like those are the two shows that like everyone that uh, that I've spoken to are being served on their Netflix homepage right now. So it's kind of, it's just, it's just fascinating. And then to see like it to be reinforced by the coverage on a lot of women centric websites and podcasts, I guess is also just sort of like funny to watch the ecosystem at work. And you're kind of like, you know, there are strings being pulled, but you don't know exactly which, what, what they are. Yeah. I mean, I'm just happy that the strings are being pulled for something I want to talk about for, once, I know. which, you know, as you said, and I, and I think like that's a little bit on me, Amanda Dobbins being like the most particular person on the face of the earth, because there are a lot of things, wonderful things being made right now. And what you just become aware of is kind of, is the segmentation of culture. And I think we often talk about that in negative terms and like, there's too much to watch or, you know, these things I love, like don't get made. Or like, I have to listen to boys talk about superhero movies for like a million years. By the way, that is just my personal experience. If you are a woman and you love superhero movies, then more power to you. Shout Um, out Valerie Rubin. Yes. I'm just surrounded by, you know, (laughs) the, the other type of people, but, um, And, and the experience when there is just like so much content about things that are not to your interest can be like kind of alienating or I, I find it that way, but then it's pretty exciting when suddenly everyone's just like, now here's a thing for you. And you're just like, oh, okay. Um, my interests still matter. And it does kind of feel like the stars aligned this particular weekend. And I think, you know, to your point about Netflix and their strategy, their strategy is everything. Their strategy is to kind of take over the world. Um, and because of recent events and technology, I honestly, they might be able to, but (laughs) so it's like this week, you know, we get Emily in Paris and then next week there will be another, um, you know, supernatural show. And then the week after that will be an, you know, an indie movie that hopefully people will watch. Please watch movies or else we're going to die. Uh, I really like movies, but (laughs) I, I in general just want the escapist fair right now. Like I can't imagine finishing Emily in Paris, then going to American murder. I'm just like, no, I, I just, I can't do it, but power to everyone who can. Yeah. And I think again, people have different definitions of escapism. And I think that this is like a type this is a literal physical escape and that I am an American and I cannot go to Paris right now or anytime soon. Um, 
and it's an escapism in the clothes and it's escapism in the really hot guy. And that definitely works for me. Other people find escapism in superhero stories. Other people find escapism in action sequences. Um, and so Netflix's genius is in kind of, is in putting its entire global, you know, machine behind all of those things every week at such a scale that we'll talk about this. And then I'm sure on the watch or something, they'll be talking about, you know, the next Netflix show in a two weeks. It's pretty, it's pretty astounding. And it is also just really interesting. The other thing that's different is, you know, 10 years ago, and even with younger Emily in Paris would have been like a week to week thing. And so we just kind of would have been yeah. living in this zone for a few months. And now it's just like a white hot burst. And then it's the next white hot burst. And so, you know, we might have to wait another six weeks for our next like big thing, but I'm, I'm sure it will come. I can't wait for it. You know, whatever that may be, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I just hope it's on Netflix, you know, so I keep on watching. Have they announced season two yet? No. I think uh, I'm sure there will be, but like, who knows when they can shoot in Paris again. And if anyone's listening in Paris, we're thinking of you as your city goes back into lockdown. That really stinks and hope that everyone is okay. Um, yes. And, you know, also if you're at home elsewhere watching this show and longing of escapism too, we we send our love to everyone. That is the real appeal of it. You know, it, and now, it, it does look like a period piece of a, of a slightly different world, which is which so is strange. Very, yeah. very strange. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a regular celebrity-focused episode. And until then, have a great week. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.